Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Bailey O'Brien is a cancer coach and cancer-free survivor of over nine years who used complementary and alternative methods of healing when standard treatments did not stop her melanoma's progression. She is grateful to be alive and have the chance to share the hope that brought her here. Thank you for coming on, Bailey. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. Yeah, I'm thrilled. So you have such a unique story. Will you take us back to the very beginning of your cancer journey? Thinking about what caused my cancer, and I think stress played a big role. So I was diagnosed in my first semester of college, and I was very, I've always felt a bit more um, fearful of, of life and things. So for me, going away to college was a huge deal. And, um, you know, leaving the comforts of home was very difficult for me. So I went Originally, I had thought I would go to a small school with like lots of green grass, and I ended up at a, a big school with tens of thousands of students in a city and um, with people who were around people who were much more talented and, and smart than I was. So it was, it was challenging, you know, socially, academically, and athletically. Um, Where did you come from and go to for school? I'm from New York State, about an hour north of the city. And I went to Boston University. Okay. And yeah, and my my option was either BU or community college. So, um, but you know, fortunately, I had the chance to go. Um, I did not handle the stress very well. Cried a lot. <laughs> and um, I, you know, turned to the only comfort that I knew at the time, which was food, and uh, gained a significant amount of weight and. Um, you know, felt socially kind of isolated, like I didn't fit in with anyone there. So, you know, I got my diagnosis in December uh, 2007. I went home for Christmas break or winter break. And my my dad was there in the dining room and he said, you know, you need to sit down. And I think you know why. Uh, because previously um, I had discovered a, a mole on my right temple here. and you know, the doctors I had seen said, you know, it's probably nothing. And then I saw a dermatologist in early December and he removed the mole and, and, you know, sent it out to be biopsied and it came back positive for melanoma. My parents wanted to wait until I was done with finals to tell me the news. So, you know, that's when I went home and found out from my dad that it was cancerous. I We didn't really have any family history of cancer. So I was very I didn't even know what questions to ask. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know if I should be afraid if I was going to need chemo or radiation or surgery because it was, you know, it was just on my skin also. So I didn't know much about melanoma, skin cancer. I ended up going for, uh, I forget the, the technical term for it, but they injected a tracer into where the mole was and then uh, mapped it to the sentinel node in front of um, you know, my ear here. And so they biopsied that node. It came back positive. And um, in the same day, actually, I had a wide 
uh, excision of the skin here, you know, to see if the cancer had spread or just to make sure that it, you know, they got all of the cancer out of that area. You know, because the node in front of my ear tested positive, they did an exploratory surgery to remove 45 lymph nodes and remove the parotid gland. Fortunately, there, were, there was no cancer in the other lymph nodes. You know, funny thing happened with from that surgery, um, I developed something called Fry syndrome. <laughs> six, six months after, my, my surgeon warned me that it could happen. He said, you know, you might develop this. this it's called Fry syndrome. And so the, when the nerves were healing, because they cut through nerves, instead of reconnecting to my salivary glands, mm -hmm. they connected to my sweat glands. So when, so from then on, uh, for the last 13 years or so, every time that I eat, I sweat on my cheek and it turns red. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. Fry syndrome? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was a joke. My, my doctor was like, you can put deodorant on it. I was like, no, thank you. I'm not going to put deodorant on my face. <laughs> on my face. <laughs> yeah. Um. So after that, um, my, I had, I had doctors at different places because I got treated in New York and Boston. Uh, so where I was from, where home was, and then also where I went to school. I, I think this was after discussing it with my doctor at Dana-Farber in Boston that I decided to do interferon treatments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I could do either one month of the um, daily injections Monday through Friday, and then one year of booster shots every month, or I could just do the one month of intensive, you know, treatment. And so I opted for the, the one month of treatments because there wasn't really uh, clear evidence to show that the year of treatments would be more helpful. So I did that uh, the spring semester of, you know, that year. And were you back in school? I took the spring semester off for okay. that for the surgeries and then the treatments. So my other oncologist in New York said, I don't think you're going to have a recurrence. You're young, you're healthy. Um, so, you know, you can go back to your normal life and we'll monitor you with scans. So that's what I was doing, PET scans every six months. Uh, at the end of my junior year in April, I had a CT scan and it showed an area of concern, um, you know, kind of in my neck area. And my oncologist um, in Boston wanted me to follow up um, in, I believe, four months rather than six months. So I had another scan in August, right before I was going back for my senior year. And it showed an increase of uptake. So um, I had that biopsied. There was also a spot in my intestines that showed um, activity. The, the spot behind my jaw that was positive for melanoma and then the thing in my intestines was nothing you know thank goodness so I had surgery to remove the spot back here this was in September and after surgery the surgeon said well I didn't see anything that looked like melanoma there's a slight chance that I missed it or there was nothing there so he repeated an MRI 10 days after the surgery and it showed that it was still there the earliest I could get surgery again was about a month later. And in the meantime, another cancerous spot 
uh, grew behind my earlobe and you know then something popped up the night before surgery and in, in my clavicle area and I was like what is this and and you then could, you could see it and feel it yeah I could feel a little bump there mm-hmm. and then my surgeon in New York was like well there was actually something in your PET scan from October also in your adenoids like in my nose mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh my gosh, um, all these different things. So it turned out that the adenoids were negative, which was good. The, the spot in my clavicle was negative also, thank goodness. Um, but they, they did successfully remove the two tumors um, in this area. And I also didn't really under, understand uh, this going into surgery, but after surgery, I found out that they had to remove part of my ear um, to, you know, doing a wide excision so that was that was like that surgery was so hard um first you know I experienced the same facial paralysis that I had experienced before but to a larger degree like they they taped my eyelid shut because it wouldn't close on its own mm-hmm. and um I couldn't like lift my eyebrow up I couldn't move my cheek and my my lips on the right side and um, I had a bunch of staples in my neck, and and then I saw that I I had got gotten up to go to the bathroom, and uh, then I washed my hands and looked up in the mirror, and I saw that part of my ear was missing, and I was like, "What the heck?" Like I didn't know that was going to happen, and so that was really hard emotionally. Um, I had my surgery in Boston, but we went back home to New York, and. You know, I was just waiting for radiation to come around, was at home alone most of the time. Um, but I did have a couple of friends who I could talk to online, you know, while my classmates were enjoying their senior year and I was feeling bad about that, you know, being home. And I was like, I was so excited for that year because I was doing great in, in all the areas that I had struggled with going into college. Um, so it was a really big you know, let down for me to be in the position that I was, you know, the fact that I had had a recurrence, you know, drastically increased my chance of getting it again. And so in my doctor's notes, he said that I had an 80% chance of another, you know, a second recurrence. It was a high likelihood that it would be terminal. And that was likely to happen in the next three to five years. So I was like, well, I'm 20 years old. I don't, you know, have any prospect of getting married. And, you know, what's the point of getting married and having kids if, if I'm not going to be around for that? So I was kind of like, all right, let me just live party because that was the only thing that I really found much joy in at the time. So I, I, I waited six weeks until radiation. I had a, a month of radiation treatments. Two or shortly after finishing radiation, I went to Hawaii with my teammates for a training trip. And I was like, yay, like I don't have to deal with this for now. And I'm so like so over all that I've been through. And Te- I was, teammates for what? Just to fill us Oh in. yeah, swimming and diving. I oh wow. That's amazing. In college. It was it was it was very much, you know, good timing <laughs> because I wasn't that great. I really wasn't that great as a diver, but uh, you know, the reason I was able to go is they had leftover money for scholarship. And then I went and, you know, was kind of stressed because I'd started doing 
or started seeing an integrative oncologist and she talked to me about nutrition and supplements and to, um, you know, do everything I could to prevent the cancer from coming back again. And so I felt isolated in that way that my teammates didn't understand what I was going through, you know, on the inside. And like, I had to wait until everyone else was done cooking their food to cook my food. And it was different. And like, the store nearby didn't have organic food. And so I was really struggling like with all of that. And I uh, soon discovered a little lump under my chin while I was there. Oh, and uh, I was like, every lump and bump you have to look into when you have cancer or experience with it. And so I asked my friends if they had that because it was really small and I didn't know if like that was usually there or not, but nobody had it. So I called my mom and she talked to my oncologist who said, yeah, it, we need to check it out, but it's not urgent. You can, you know, I was thousands of miles away and, you know, taking a long trip, like 13 hour flight back home would, would be a lot. So I stayed there a few more days, came back, had the spot biopsied and it was melanoma. Is melanoma usually disaggressive? Uh, well, the timeline of coming back after two years, um, you know, after having stage threes is common. Um, I don't think any of my doctors expected it to happen that quickly to have a recurrence. That's a good question. I don't know how common that is, but I don't think it is common, you know, and by that point, before I even got the, the biopsy, I was so distraught over like, I'm going through all this and I just feel like I'm in a whack-a-mole game where it's like, you know, every time I get up, I get beaten down again and again. My oncologist said, you know, she was encouraging. We had, she was a new doctor in New York and she said, you're going to make it for my retirement party. You're going to be here for that. She recommended that I take PABA, which is a B vitamin because she found in her lab that melanoma cells had died after someone accidentally added PABA to the, you know, the Petri dish with the melanoma cells in them. And she also recommended Temidar, which is a chemo pill. So that regimen is five days of pills, one pill a day, and then wait three weeks and get a scan to see, you know, how it goes. My mom and my sister had come to, to tell me, you know, the extent of the disease um, because I went to see her and then I went back to, to college to start the first day of the spring semester, the day after I found out the cancer was back. I had a moment of hopelessness because it was, you know, there weren't any, there weren't the immunotherapies that we have today. It was basically a death sentence. And my mom didn't share this with me, but my doctor had told her that I had seven months to live without treatment or 14 months if I did, you know, whatever was available. And I remember looking out the window, I had a beautiful view of the Boston skyline and thinking about what my options were. You know, I thought, who are the brightest minds in cancer? And I had, I had the privilege to go see a lot of them, like in Boston and New York, and they didn't have any any hope for me, at least not hope for long-term remission. And so I thought, well, I could do nothing. And I thought, well, no, that's not going to help because the cancer is already progressing. 
And then I thought, well, maybe I could do something different than what my doctors are suggesting. And I thought, well, there's nothing there because I would have heard about it. So I had, you know, this moment of hopelessness. I thought, I'm going to die. And this is horrible. But my mom had a friend who had been researching for for alternative treatments for another, you know, incurable disease. And she had found survivors and found out about this supplement, which contains redox signaling molecules, with help, which help with detoxification and cellular repair. And, you know, people who had miraculous stories of healing with it. And previously, my mom, my mom kind of filtered a lot of information from her friend so that not too much got to me. That would drive me crazy. <laughs> and so my mom wasn't open to it previously when I had stage three, but then with stage four and no options, she was like, okay, whatever, you know, we just need to save my daughter's life. So she told me about it. She had a bottle with her. I started drinking it right away and it tasted horrible. It tasted like pool water. <laughs> um, but I thought, you know, maybe this has helped people. So maybe it could help me too. And I, I did start taking PABA, the B vitamin that my other oncologist suggested for me. And I held off on the Temidar for, for a while because, you know, my doctor didn't mention anything about side effects, but I become aware that, you know, there was potential for side effects. And my mom's friend said, well, you know, if you, if you take this, you could become infertile later on or, you know, and not be able to have kids later in life. And so I didn't want that. Like if I was going to beat the cancer, you know, I knew my cancer was very aggressive and I didn't want to take too long before doing anything really, um, you know, it's very powerful to try to reverse what was going on. So I did do the Temidar. I did five pills over five days and we had started researching alternative options. My mom came across a treatment called Coley's toxins, which is a mixed bacterial vaccine vaccine that contains two different types of bacteria. Well, heat killed bacteria. So the toxins from the bacteria are in the, uh, the fluid for the injections and it stimulates an immune response. And it was actually a mainstream treatment in the United States in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And the head bone cancer surgeon at Memorial Hospital, which is now Sloan Kettering, he had discovered it slash invented it. So he had a patient who was very young and she was the girlfriend of one of the Rockefellers. Oh, and okay. Yeah. And so she had bone cancer. He, he um, operated on her, removed her arm or part of her arm. And unfor unfortunately and sadly, her cancer you know, rapidly progressed and she died from it. And he was very distraught over that. And he, he was voraciously read, you know, all the literature he could find about what people had done to heal from bone cancer. And he found this one guy, this one guy's record who had gotten an infection. And I don't remember if it was post-surgery or how it came about, but his cancer regressed after the infection. And he actually like, cause the patient was German. So he went to the German part of town 
uh, as the story goes, and he found this guy and saw that he was a real person. He started actually purposefully injecting people with this um, bacterium uh, called it call it causes an erysipelas infection, and I I can't remember which bacterium it is, but over time he changed the formulation, and other doctors actually started using it and had success. They all they all had a pretty good deal of success with it with patients experience regression and remission. But then when chemo and radiation were becoming popular in, I think, the 1920s or so, uh, Chloe's toxins kind of fell by the wayside. And so unfortunately, it's not an approved treatment in the United States. It has to go through FDA approval as a drug. And it's it's highly uh, unattractive to fund because it can't be patented. And there's actually a book called... Um, uh, the Reinvention of Coley's Toxin by Don McAdam, who who was the manufacturer of it. So this is what it's... So, so and, if it's not approved here, can you tell people how you got access to it? Yeah. So, um, and, and the reason I brought the book up is because in the book is a formulation for Coley's Toxins, how to make it, uh, or there, there are different ways to make it, but it is approved... Uh, for use on a compassionate basis in Mexico and some other countries, uh, like I think, um, well, I'm not entirely sure, but I think in Malaysia, it's available. Because Chloe's toxins was available at a hospital in Mexico, as well as the Gerson therapy, which actually, there is a peer-reviewed article in a journal from 1995 about the Gerson therapy and melanoma success. And it was much more successful compared to um, the other survival rates with standard treatments. So it had the Gerson therapy had a 39% five-year survival rate in stage four melanoma. Historically with the Coley's toxins based on a pool of, of almost 900 people uh, with cancer. And I forget how many people with melanoma, I think it was in the thirties range. 60% of those who had inoperable melanoma uh, survived five years with Coley's toxins. And then 70% of those who had operable melanoma survived five years. I was studying nutrition in college, and the theory behind the Gerson therapy is that cancer is a result of nutrient deficiency and uh, a burden of toxicity. And so the the diet is very strict. You know, it's very focused on uh, vegetables and fruits and juicing. So uh, the regimen that I was pursuing was 13 fresh juices per day, uh, oatmeal for breakfast, a soup called Hippocrates soup for lunch and dinner, and then like fruit, nuts and seeds for snacks uh, as needed. That's a lot of juice. It is a lot lot of juice. juice. Like I can't even imagine (laughs) drinking that amount of juice like ever. Um, So let me, so let me ask you this because I wanted to make Mm -hmm. it clear for people. Um, You did the chemo for a period of time, the pill, right? Mm-hmm. You decided to pursue this therapy. I'm mm-hmm. assuming insurance did not cover this. Correct. It didn't cover. Um, so how did you and your family pay for this? Yeah. Uh, we were very blessed. My uh, my team raised money for me at um, our uh, championship meet. So, so everyone, like, from different schools – uh, donated money 
and my sister's friends, her three closest friends at the time, they they put on a fundraiser for me. Um, so that raised a lot of money and that covered just about everything. Uh, oh, that's amazing. The, yeah. So that's that we were, yeah, incredibly blessed by that. Wow. So how long were you in Mexico? I was there for three weeks and I actually saw shrinkage of the cancer before I got there. So I started the supplements basically the day I got the diagnosis. It was mid January. Then two weeks passed before I took the Temidar pills. And then a week after that, I had measurable shrinkage of the uh, cancer under my chin. It was half a centimeter smaller. Then it got measured two more times and it, continue to get smaller by half a centimeter each time. And so by the time I got to Mexico, it was already shrinking. And then when I left three weeks later, we couldn't feel the lump under my chin anymore. So that was six, six and a half weeks or so since my diagnosis. And then I went home and I continued Coley's toxins three times per week. My mom had been giving me the injections at home and I was continuing the Gerson therapy and I was, I was tired from the police toxins injections. They, they cause a fever and fatigue. So we had people from our community, again, <laughs> another miracle that we had the support when we needed it because my dad was working and my mom had to go back to work. So we had my juicing buddies and my juicing friends who came into my kitchen and helped you know, do the majority of the work for my juicing and make helping with making my soup, the Hippocrates soup that took three hours to simmer and, you know, a half an hour or so of prep and coffee for my coffee and was for the detox portion of the Gerson therapy. So that was, that was a huge relief. And I went for, well, also in Mexico, I had done um, a few high dose vitamin C infusions uh, multivitamin infusions, laetrile, which is uh, also known as vitamin B17. And um, I had an autologous vaccine made for my own blood. They took eight vials of my blood and then cultured it to produce more white blood cells. And then I had those reinjected once a week for 13 weeks. So I did most of those at home after coming home from Mexico. Um, so from the time of my diagnosis to 10 weeks later, you know, three weeks in Mexico, three weeks at home, I had a scan, which was at the end of March. And I was, you know, going into the, you know, to get the results, I was cautiously optimistic because the thing under my chin had shrunk. But there's no guarantee that all the tumors respond the same way because I had up to seven tumors in, in my neck, uh, okay. few in my neck, two in my lung, one in my spine. So we just had to wait and see what the results showed. And my, my birthday happened to be the next day. So I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> this could go either way. Your 21st uh, birthday? Yeah, my 21st birthday. So my doc so there's like a million people who come to talk to me before my doctor comes in. And yeah, they're all they're asking me questions about what I did in Mexico because I had told them I was thinking about or planning to go to Mexico. My doctor advised against it. And my other doctor who had recommended the PABA, she dropped me as a patient when, when we said that. So, wow. Yeah. The doctor, the integrative oncologist who gave you a vitamin to begin with. 
I'm sorry. I, there are so many doctors that it's hard to follow, but the one who she was not integrative, she okay. was conventional, but she had recommended the B vitamin, which killed the melanoma cells in her lab. She, she so the one who, yeah, recommended the vitamin. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Dropped, I was thinking, yeah. Dropped you as a patient. Right. You know, I, I, I love hearing this story. Um, one, cause it gives people hope of course, but, um, but I pursued this for my sister and, and you know, mm-hmm. my story and, and I, I feel like, of course there are going to be quacks out there, but I feel like, um, people were very honest with me. And when I pursued this for my sister and I lived in Los Angeles, so going to Mexico was a two, two and a half hour, three hour drive, depending on traffic. So the actual getting there wasn't going to be hard. It was raising the money was going to, to be challenging, but every doctor I spoke to in Mexico said it wouldn't work for my sister. They were incredibly honest. And I don't know if it was because um, she was stage four and it was already in her lungs or just, I think based on the emails and the communication we had, it was the type of cancer she had. Mm -hmm. And they said it would not, it would not kill our cancer. It would not, they said all it would do was maybe give her a little more time, but they didn't think they could help. And I feel like if they were charlatans, they would have just taken my money anyway. But they didn't do that. Um, So tell me, what did your doctor say when he came in day before your birthday? He came in and and asked me questions again. And he was actually taking notes, which I found weird because, you know, he he never did that. And he was not really saying anything, actually. He, you know, did the physical exam and then he walked over to the sink and washed his hands and then, you know, dried them and turned around, leaned up against the counter and, you know, it was like this, and I was like, <laughs> "What is going on here? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm dying to know the result." Right. And um, he says, "Well, he says PET scans aren't the best tool to monitor melanoma anymore." You know, then why did you order it for me? Yeah. Um, but it, it would appear from your scan that you have no sign of active disease. And for me, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, "Wait, what do you?" Does that mean I have inactive disease or like clear it up for me? So, you know, basically he said that there was no sign of cancer on the, on the scan and, and I didn't need his, his services anymore, um, wow. <laughs> which was like so far beyond what I even believed could be possible at that point. I just, I was so so overwhelmed I broke down crying and I I was sobbing like because it was like such a burden so many things like my history and and having all these different occurrences of cancer and not knowing when it was going to be over and you know thinking maybe it never would be and then it's like, it's just completely gone. And I felt free. I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm done. Like, finally, it's over. And I knew that I would have to continue with my regimen with the toxins and the diet and, you know, being actively uh, fighting cancer because it, there's always a chance it could come back. But it was just incredible. I mean... Along the way, after the stage four diagnosis, 
some friends had encouraged me to pray and asked me what I believed about God. And I said, I don't, I don't know. Like I never really um, thought a whole lot about it. One guy who had come to BU as a motivational speaker right after I got my diagnosis, it was so, so beautifully timed and so inspiring. And he was so gracious to call me. He said, I believe you're going to make it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, thank you. Because nobody else does. <laughs> and <laughs> um, he said, pray for a miracle. He said, he asked me what I believe. I said, I don't know. He said, you know, you're right. It's, it's hard. It can be hard to, to trust in God when so many difficult things happen, which was one thing that I brought up with him. Um, but he said, I believe you're going to make it and just pray for a miracle over and over again. So I said, God, if you're there, please give me a miracle. And, and that's what I did. And then, then I got the miracle. I knew you could do everything right and not get well. So there was that gap. Um, and, and I got it. So that was just incredible for me. How did your mom react? Was she there with you? Yeah, she was there. I, I don't really remember. <laughs> I think I was just, I mean, I remember going in the bathroom and sobbing because I was like, I mean, I, I can't, you know, put my doctor through this, you know, and I, I didn't want people to think that I, as we walked out of the hospital, I didn't want people to think that I was crying because of something terrible. I was just trying not to draw attention to myself, but I, I remember calling my dad and calling um, my coach and letting him know the great news. And yeah, I mean, I, I know they were all very, very happy and um, it changed my life and I got a second chance and I knew that so many people don't get that chance. I knew I didn't deserve it, you know, over anyone. So it really put me on a path to pursue my purpose and really try to honor those who didn't get the chance to live and and live my best life so that's you know what got me <laughs> to where I am now and through lots more prayer um, as well and um, taking steps of faith thank you so much for sharing what is what is the one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning of your cancer journey like that that moment when your father told you you had cancer yeah, I really, I mean, if I could go back and do things differently, like based on what I know now, I would, I would research more. I would have an open mind to, to things, give everything a chance in, in my own research of things, you know, holistic and alternative methods. I'm not against any kind of treatment, whether conventional or alternative as long as there's some evidence behind it, whether it's a study or um, someone's personal testimony or, you know, honest people, you know, who have stories of others, you know, doing as much research as, as I could because I don't think that I needed to suffer as much as I did with what I did later on. I, you know, I don't know how all the treatments work together. I can't, differentiate you know what did what in my body like I don't regret anything that I did because I have my health now and I and I can share with people that these are my experiences and you know what what you could maybe expect with doing this or that 
not that my story is, you know, going to be everybody's story, but nutrition, I was studying nutrition in college and I was, you know, had used nutrition as like, okay, if I get diabetes, I know what I need to do. I need to, you know, not do this or that. But I, I really didn't think that I would, I really didn't understand the, the power of nutrition at the time. Mm. And neither did any of my classmates, I think. Um, and so after my experience with stage four cancer and doing the alternative methods and doing like a really rigorous diet regimen, I, I believe so much more in the, in the medicinal aspect of nutrition. And so that's why I didn't feel like dietetics was a, a, a path that I could pursue and really share my heart with people that cancer can be, you know, people have healed in many different ways, but one of them is through nutrition and dietary changes alone. So that's something that I'm passionate about. And that's just one aspect of coaching that I do and what I share with anyone I know who has cancer. But, you know, maybe that's one thing that I would have changed earlier on. Okay. Two things. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And if you could only do one thing to improve U.S. Uh, healthcare in the U.S., what mm -hmm. would it be and why? I would, I would integrate conventional and alternative or complementary together because I think they're both lacking on their own. In 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 a lot of cases, I think doctors know a little bit about nutrition some are very like for lack of a better term anti-nutrition i guess or they don't think that it helps yeah but like even at my radiation oncologist's office they had like they gave me a goodie bag with like a bunch of candy in it and i was like this is this is really not good they gave you a goodie bag with candy yeah that's, it's yeah. not a bank, right? That's what banks used to do. They always have lollipops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but there's so much that so much else that we can do with um, helping a person thrive who has cancer, building up the body and the immune system to fight off the cancer and you know, deal with side effects if a person is doing treatments that have side effects. Supplementation. I know some hospitals have integrative um, you know, arms to them. And, you know, I not, think that's not great. many. Uh, I said there are more than there used to be at <laughs> yeah. least, but like exercise. I mean, I, I, I know you read the book radical remission or you're familiar with it. Yeah. I love it. I think those are incredible. Yeah. So radical remission, these are the nine or 10 factors that were common among all of the cases that Dr. Turner had found in her research, you know, interviewing over a hundred people, reviewing over, over a thousand cases and now over 1500 with her latest book, Radical Hope, but strong reasons for living, uh, following your intuition, increasing positive emotions, releasing suppressed emotions, uh, taking herbs and supplements, radically changing your diet, deepening your spirituality and, uh, embracing social support. That's eight. I was missed one or two. Um, and then the 10th the factor now is exercise. So I think incorporating those things, like I think radical remission should be a book, you know, that every doctor recommends and um, reads, right? Yes. They, of they course. need to read it. Yeah. I, yeah. 
Yeah, that that would come first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally agree. Um, I'm always shocked by how many patients, even when they're seen in, at a really good center, have never spoken to a nutritionist or a dietitian. It's not even there. It's not even part of their um, treatment, and it really mm-hmm. shocks me because you have to be strong enough to fight cancer too. Yeah, and I I think doctors in general, don't focus so much on what caused the cancer. I love a lot of my doctors and, you know, I'm so grateful for them. And I believe most doctors are, they get into it and they're in it because they love people and they want to help people. You know, some have better bedside manners than others, but true. well, I think that their training is, it's influenced by the, the pharmaceutical industry a bit too much, I think. Mm-hmm. And so what they what I've experienced, what I know a lot of others have experienced is like, okay, you get a diagnosis. Here are the drugs that you can take. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is what I can help you with. But there's so much, so much else to that picture that is missing. And so I wish, you know, more things like we just said, radical admission were included in, in a person's, you know, required, you know, at least a consultation about it. So, yeah. And, and people like you, like cancer, you getting involved and becoming part of, you know, the standard of care would just be so impactful and, and helpful and save lives. Thank you. Give me three to five years. <laughs> yes. or, if, or if the person I spoke to yesterday, five to seven years, but. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it'll, um, I'll be praying that it happens. Thank you. Okay. Are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? Sure. Yes. Okay. All right. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach because of the the waves, not because of the sun, (laughs) but the sun is nice too. (laughs) Beach boys, beetles, or rolling stones? Beach boys. What is one word that best describes you? grace before you die what is the last song you want to hear oh oh gosh oh i know there's uh amazing grace hmm. what's the last meal you want to eat oh ooh, ooh. that's um my mind went to like fruit <laughs> berries <laughs> <laughs> um who is the last person you want to see? Wow. Well, if I'm mar- if I'm married uh, by that time, hopefully, I guess my husband. Okay. And the last words that you will speak. I love you. And aside from cancer, you what is the one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? my website (laughs) i was gonna go into that so let's talk about it so bailey um is a coach so tell people how they can reach out to you yeah i have i'm on social media i have my website of course baileyobrien.com for resources like i have i have a couple bibliographies on there based on uh topic and cancer type for like it's growing as I research and find things that I think are worth sharing. 
uh, so I have my, my website. Uh, there's a form that you could fill out to contact me. I, my email is contact at baileybryan.com. You know, phone number is fine. 914-262-8845 if anyone wants to call uh, to reach me. Facebook.com forward slash Bailey O'Brien 330. Instagram, Bailey O'Brien 330. I do have Twitter also at the same you know name, but I'm not as active on there. Okay. Um, yeah. We will put links to all of that. So thank you so oh, much, Bailey. You're welcome. I also have YouTube uh, where I, I post videos and interviews and things like that. Ooh, what kind of, what else, uh, what, what kind of interviews do you do? I, uh, lately I have been interviewing different practitioners or people involved in caring for the cancer community, like Gary Hildenbrand, who is a, a dear friend who was at the hospital in Mexico. When I went there, he was, he's an epidemiologist and he has really primarily dedicated his life to the Gerson therapy. And uh, he's translated lots of Dr. Gerson's works from German to English. And um, yeah, so that, that was really fun because he was basically treating me and, and now I get to, I got to interview him and share like, you know, what I've learned from him and he shared so much more to, to be able to share it with others. Great. Well, yeah. again, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. It was an honor. And um, I, I wish everyone the best of luck in their cancer journey. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.